You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ash Gartner. Today on Footprints, I'm joined by the Director of Marketing Operations at Bumble, Catherine St. Lawrence. For her, Ops is all about bringing order to chaos and helping creative people do their best work. Her introduction to operations came when she dabbled in the field while working as a producer and account manager for a production company. She has a passion for travel. Her work has seen her move around the world from LA to London. Where she joins us now, Catherine, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, can you talk me through your journey so far? It's been a wild ride. (laughs) Yeah, um, my family was pretty nomadic when I was a kid. My dad had a job that kept moving us around the world every couple of years. And I think I entered adulthood with fully that expectation that that would continue. And I seem to have managed it. (laughs) I've moved every couple of years as well since I've been an adult. I finished university right in the middle of the financial crisis, which was a great time to be looking for a job in the arts or something creative in (laughs) Australia. Um, And so I basically took any job that was going and I I worked for a publishing company for a couple of years. Um, When I moved to London, that led me into a job in financial like market reporting, which was very, very interesting intellectually, but not ultimately what I wanted to do. And so I decided this was it. I was going to work and try and work in production. And I just saved up as much money as I could. And I picked up and moved to LA. And that was a bit of a a challenge trying to move to a new country and get a visa and also be changing industries at the same time. But I was very lucky that I could work for free for a little while um, and on spec. And I met my boss in a bar. (laughs) He was looking for a new producer and he took a chance and signed my visa paperwork and off we went. And that's where I really started getting into operations because that place was kind of chaos. It was really small, just a couple of people in a like a warehouse (laughs) office. And so I started building a lot of process and templates and frameworks for how we should be doing things to make things easier. And I don't think I even realized, really realized I was doing ops until somebody else told me that's what it sounded like. Like I I thought I was just a producer and systems were just part of it. Yeah. And so then after that, I took a job with Intel just as they were building their in-house creative agency. And so even though Intel is like a Fortune 50 manufacturing company that started in the 70s, it's like the grandfather of Silicon Valley. This was a totally new team, a totally new way of functioning. And so I was meant to be a production coordinator for them, but because they were trying to do all of this new stuff, the production leadership team really needed help with kind of internal stakeholder management and internal education. So I spent we spent a lot of time talking to procurement, talking to staffing, talking to finance, trying to convince them about what we were trying to do to let them change the rules for us. Like, the, you know, their rules were if your procurement is buying pencils and everything should be on a net 60 payment terms. Like we should receive the goods and you can pay 60 days later. Um, I had to go and say, oh, the production companies that we're working with want 75% upfront and that's normal. And let me tell you why. <laughs> and so it, we were kind of really disrupting the ways of working and trying to really build new process and build a new way of operating within the framework and with the backing of this massive company. And that was really fascinating. And then I had been in California for about four years and it really 
it, you know, it's hard work to live somewhere that you don't, that you didn't grow up and that you don't have a really extensive network. And so I thought about coming back to London. So I'm, I'm half British and, and half Australian. So I have a, a good side of the family in the UK. Um, and so I took a, a role with Airbnb looking after marketing operations for their European team, which was amazing. Airbnb is like, they just are best in class in terms of building culture, in terms of the way that they look after their employees and set process for the way that you're working. And I learned so much about making people feel welcome, setting clear expectations. We, it's called being a host, managing really clear expectations with people and then making them feel welcome within those parameters that you set, which I think has really informed the way that I think about teams or new hires or, you know, the people that I work with. And once I had done that for a couple of years, there was a really interesting opportunity with Bumble. I actually started with a couple of short contracts helping with their business operations in Australia. Then they asked if I would go to Mexico for a little while. And I spent some time after those two contracts basically writing a report for them as to why I thought they needed more senior marketing operations, that they needed somebody in charge of setting process for them. And I hope I've spent the last year proving myself right, <laughs> that it was really needed and that they did need somebody beyond a coordinator level thinking about process and, and solving problems for them. It sounds like you really developed your knowledge of operations quite organically. Was there a moment when you realised, hey, I really love operations. This is for me. This is where I want to be. I don't know if there was a moment. I think I think there definitely was a part of me that always thought I might go back to production or creative work or marketing work and be more in the like project-based, campaign-based workflow. And I think there definitely, I, I can't really think of if there was a specific moment, but I, I think there was a process of figuring out that actually I really like working with a lot of cross-functional teams. I love working with finance and accounting. I love working with legal I love working with all different departments in the business to really change the way that people are working. And that kind of, it's a little bit more overarching and like slow burn than a marketing campaign is. And I think I realized that, but I think, you know, there's always some grief for what you didn't choose. Like sometimes I really regret that I didn't go to law school and become a lawyer or that I didn't try to work in musical theater, you know, or that I didn't, find a way to make it in LA and work on television with Shonda Rhimes. You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of paths that you don't choose in life. What is it about this field of work, though, that you are so passionate about? I think ops is about enabling people. It's about pulling together all of the things that the business needs, that a company or an organisation or a team needs so that they can do what they came here to do. It's about unblocking and there's an element of elegance in the way you set process. And I was a linguistics major at, at university as well as media and comms. And when you are writing, I remember read, learning that when you're writing the grammar of a new language, when you're setting out the rules, it's always like the most elegant solution is always the, what you're striving for. And that has really stuck with mm -hmm. me. It's about building elegant solutions that are easy and not burdensome. And honestly, I think efficiency is one of my like core values 
as a human. I get really excited when things work really efficiently, when there's not wastage, when there's not arduous process in all aspects of my life. I love that. I think that's a great quality to have. And obviously, super, super important when you're working in operations as well. Now, the theme of this season is leadership through adversity. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? I think, yeah, as I mentioned, I think trying to change careers and also move countries at the same time, I sort of set myself quite a big challenge there. Um, You know, trying to convince a government to let me stay and work in a field that I had honestly no experience in. But we found a way to make it work. I really tried to build up some experience there. I have to say that I really benefited from unpaid internships in that in that environment and it's something that I that's a that's a whole system that I really don't think I agree with I think it really benefits people who can afford to do them which if I'm totally honest I 100% benefited from because I had been able to save this money and I you know I knew that I had the backing of my mom if I got really got into trouble that she would help me out and that's what let me do it um Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's not a challenge that I specifically faced. You know, that's the way that I found out of it. But I, I have to really acknowledge that a lot of people don't have that opportunity open to them. For sure. And since then, I've really tried to make sure that if we, if I've ever been in a team where we're considering bringing on an intern, I've really advocated for that to be a paid position and have really tried to find ways to get different types of candidates and from different areas of the world and not just bring them in from private schools or um, high-end universities. So that's really stuck with me. Kind of levels the playing field a bit more to ensure that people from a range of demographics are getting the same opportunities for experience. A hundred percent. And I think that's so important. Like I I really, um, when I joined Airbnb, they had a, a reasonably diverse marketing team and it completely changed the thought process. It changed the way that we we thought about marketing about our audience, about our markets, you know, I think it's undeniably better for the business and of course, better for people in different communities. In terms of challenges, I think I also, yeah, I also really have a lot of imposter syndrome because as you say, I I came up into ops in in a reasonably organic and tactical and experiential way. I haven't been trained in best practice. A lot of the people that I'm working with, especially now, come from a consulting background and there are like very specific processes. There's like a shared language among that, those sorts of people that have come from that background. And then the combination of that with working in high growth companies is that often a lot of the problems you're trying to solve actually are new, like there might not be best practice to do. And so the combination of those two things can really make you feel like, somebody else would know exactly what to do in this situation. And I'm starting with a blank page and like trying to put some numbers in a spreadsheet to like figure it out and see what I think. And so trying to sort of remind myself that, no, I can do it. And actually whatever I come up with will be as good, if not better, as what anyone else would do in this situation. Imposter syndrome seems to be something that so many people face but may not realise that it is as common as it is. How did you overcome that or how do you overcome that? Oh, that's a really good question. I think my most recent experience with it is honestly I was just very open about it with my manager. 
I said, look, I really, I feel like I'm working with tools that, or like I'm supposed to be working with these tools that I don't have. I feel like everybody else, you know, do I need some training or do I need to go on a course or something? And she was like, what, what are you talking about? No one really knows this. And also if you, she was like, do a first draft of what we're talking about and give it to me and I'll give you feedback. And that doesn't mean that you did it wrong. We're just, we'll workshop it together. And so I think there are a couple of things that are really important there. One is that I really value the relationship I have with my manager. She's really supportive and she's been like an absolute asset in, in this role that I've had. And it's a very safe environment to have that conversation. And I think for me, when I am part of or leading teams, that is something that's really important to me for there to be safe space to make a mistake or change your mind, you know, at sort of the, having an understanding that we all just make the best decision we can with the information we have at the time. And when we have new information, we might change our mind and that doesn't mean that we were wrong or, you know, that we did the wrong thing in the first place or that we should have known. We just, we're all just trying to get to the best answer. And so I think psychological safety is such an important ingredient there. And also, if your mates are great, tell them they're great. Like if you're working with colleagues or friends or whatever that are total badasses, tell them. <laughs> it helps to hear it. I absolutely agree with that. I think that probably doesn't happen enough. And maybe that's where this imposter syndrome stems from is because maybe you have this thought about what the reality is because you're not getting that kind of, of feedback. Absolutely. And I just, you can't ignore that there are gender dynamics at play as well, or like power dynamics of any kind. I think imposter syndrome so disproportionately affects women and people of colour that honestly don't look or sound the way that you're, you're traditionally used to seeing leaders look and sound. Do you think as well, even though you may not necessarily have that background in consulting, perhaps like some of your peers, but you bring this fresh perspective to some of the operational tactics that you're trying to roll out? I think sometimes that lets me cut through. I think sometimes there's, you know, when you're used to doing things on a certain process and when a, a problem comes up, maybe the framework in your brain is telling you to like, you know, go and scope it out and talk to all your stakeholders and like explore a bunch of different solutions. I think that that is that rigor is so important and with big investments or big like really big important problems that's so important to have that structure sometimes i think you can just shortcut to a, like a hacky solution with a spreadsheet or an automation or a conversation with someone that like actually you just don't need all of that rigor and the framework and process what is leadership to you I think to me, there are two really important facets of leadership. One is to enable and support the people that are working for you. And that means unblocking challenges that they're facing. It means nudging or guiding or like gently pushing them in a certain direction, asking questions to interrogate what they're proposing and just sort of helping to to polish and improve and embellish what they're already doing. And that means like not doing it for them or telling them exactly every step of what they should be doing. Like if, you, if you're hiring great people to work for you, then your job is kind of to get out of their way and move anything else out of their way and let them run with it. And then the other way that I've been thinking about leadership recently is 
similar to the way a director has a role in a movie. I think before I worked in production, I didn't really understand what a film director did, like what their job was. And I and working in production, I realised actually most of their job is to have this vision and then safeguard it, like protect and defend it against all the other threats that might come to try and dilute or change direction or reroute. And I think that is the job as a leader to have a vision of how it's going to be that hopefully you're able to really share and clarify and like draw a paint a really clear crystal picture for your team. But even in the event that they can't see what you're seeing, your job is to safeguard that and to defend it against questions or like suggested changes or whatever from people that don't see it. Yeah, sure. So maybe the ones that aren't part of the process. So those involved in the end game are all striving towards the same goal and ensuring everyone's part, you know, there for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. And you're you're sort of shepherding shepherding it. Yeah, and I loved what you spoke about before about creating this safe space to make mistakes. It really is this notion of of teamwork being a big part of leadership as well. J- just how crucial is that to you of, of creating that that element of feeling safe and being able to maybe fumble and make mistakes, but ultimately have a good outcome? Oh, it's critical. I think not only because like work has changed so much over the last fifteen or twenty years since everything has become online, and the kind of jobs that we're doing that some some sectors of the population are doing now are you're doing so much code switching and task switching and sort of you can be juggling so many different projects in the air if you are afraid to misspeak or afraid to make a mistake or make maybe slightly the wrong decision or or not even the wrong decision but to, to take a misstep you just it can just completely take the wind out of your sails and blow your confidence, you know? And I think I think the feeling of we're all in this together, we're all just trying to get to the best answer. And I say the best answer and not the right answer because I, I think a lot of these things we're not, it's not right or wrong or clear cut. It's we're mm. all just trying to get to the best outcome. And this idea that it doesn't matter where that outcome came from. There's no, you know, credit where credit's due, but there's there's no... You don't want it to be a competition as to who can get it right or whose idea was it. The way that you get the best out of everybody's brain is to take pieces from here, take pieces from there, and everybody's ideas kind of roll together and that's how you progress. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. Have have you had mentors? Now, you've mentioned your manager who has been a huge support to you, but have you had other mentors along the way that have really inspired you? Yeah, absolutely. I had an ops director who wasn't my direct manager, but I sort of had a dotted line report when I was working at Intel. And she, oh, she was amazing. She had this really incredible way of balancing like a very no-nonsense approach. She was old school Intel. She'd been there for 15 years or something. Now you had all of these agency creatives coming in wanting to do nuts things that she was totally up for but really was able to keep Intel's kind of business practices in mind and do what's best for the business in a very, very caring and empathetic way. And she really demonstrated for me how you can 
stay true to your values and hold on to what you think is best for the business, even if the team around you might be going off in a certain direction, but still be really kind and empathetic and funny in the way that you interact with people. And I, that has, that has so informed the way that I deal with teams, the way I interact with other teams. Yeah. So are some of these traits that she exhibited, do you now try and I guess put them into how you operate as a leader day to day? Absolutely. Not least that she's quite informal and that is totally how I am as well. I, even when we're talking about, you know, business metrics and things that are very, can be very, very serious. I just tend to be quite casual and informal and friendly. Try to be anyway. (laughs) Now, what are some of the things that you do day to day that I guess you do in order to, to ensure success? Do you have certain routines or certain habits or things that you feel like you need to tick off each day to get the most out of your day? In terms of routines, I think thinking really carefully about the way that you need to talk to your team across the course of a a week or a month, I think is really important. And I think time spent crafting an agenda, crafting the framework or a format of a a meeting or a, a meeting cadence or a communication kind of workflow is time really well spent. And the way that you set the environment for that, what are the goals of this meeting? How often what are the goals of this meeting? What's the ideal outcome? What are the things we need to discuss from a meeting perspective? But then also over the course of the month, what are the things we need to talk about and how regularly? If we have these big key projects, are they changing really fast? Do we need to meet daily and check in on them? Actually, is it is there really very little progress day to day? Should we talk monthly or weekly to check in on them? And so I think the way that you think about the way how your team talks to each other and and what they share, it's really helpful. It can be really an effective way. And also to av- avoid fire drills. If you know that you're going to talk tomorrow or on Friday morning, maybe you don't need to like call your boss or call your team to check in on things because you, you know that that update is coming in a couple of days. So again, another efficiency. <laughs> yes. It's a no wasted minutes. theme. <laughs> I'm all about this efficiency thing. I'm on board. I love it. I love it. Now, what is next for you? Do do you have goals in mind that you always look to or how, I guess, do you look to your next success in your journey? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, this a bit the same as with habits. I've really never been that goal-oriented. I used to hate when they made us do that at school at the beginning of the year, think about goals, and I just never thought about them ever again. To be honest, I've really only had two driving forces in my sort of career aspirations. Number one is I want to do interesting things. And that has manifested in joining teams when they're changing the way they're operating, joining new teams, joining teams that are trying to do something new. And that's what I find really interesting. And then the other one is that I want people to say about me if we're going to do this, we need her. And I think that probably ties into interesting things as well, that like, if it's going to be a really big challenge, you know, I could be a producer or an ops manager or a runner on a set. I want to be thought of or think of myself as someone who is capable and problem solving and get things done. 
And the go-to woman when those tasks <laughs> yeah. need to be completed. Ideally. Yeah. What piece of advice would you give to others setting out on a similar journey to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I thought a lot about advice that I would give to people like just embarking on the on the workforce. When you're junior, you don't have any experience. All you have is potential. And so you really want to be able to demonstrate your potential so that you can prove to people, you know, that you're worth investing in. And I think the key thing is to demonstrate capability. When people realize that whatever task or project they give you is like safe in your hands and that you will get it done and they don't have to check up on you and rely on you, they'll trust you and they'll start to give you more. And that's how you grow your experience and and get that experience and expertise that you started out not having. And then I think the other thing that I'm learning is that it is important to have a perspective and have a, an idea in your mind of how things should go. And at the same time, be open to adjusting that as you learn more. That same idea of like you make the decision that you with the information you have and as you get more information. I think when you're junior, obviously, there are, you're going to be surrounded with by a lot of people who know a lot more than you do and have had a lot more experience. And so you still want to form your own perspective, but take in all the information that you can from the people who have done it before. And I think it's not to be underrated the idea that you should have your own perspective. You don't have to be a blank slate, a blank canvas for the people around you. I think I definitely have found that you're often, in operations anyway, you're often supporting a leader who has a really specific vision and they do, I have found, want you time and time again. They want you to have a perspective on things, maybe not necessarily on exactly what the strategic vision for whatever the team is trying to do is, but how to solve a problem, what we should do in any given situation. They want you to, they want to be able to trust you. They want you to be their partner in solving a problem. And so having, forming your perspective is, is just really important. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.